Startup Stories DSM features conversations with entrepreneurs in Greater Des Moines, Iowa, who share their stories of what worked and what failed on their entrepreneurial journey. This podcast is produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. More tips and resources are available at dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. I'm your host, Mike Caldwell, Executive Director of Entrepreneurial Initiatives at The Partnership. Christina Moffat, welcome to Startup Stories. Your company, uh, Creme Cupcake and Dessert Bar, combines drinks and desserts. Where did that come from? So my husband and I loved to travel and we're kind of foodies. So every time we travel, we wanted to experience as much as we could in a very short period of time. So we would usually go somewhere for an appetizer and a drink, somewhere for dinner and wine. And then we always wanted to go somewhere for dessert. And it was always recommended a coffee shop, you know, grab a cup of coffee and a muffin. Well, that's not really what we were looking for. It's not the end of date night. Right. And then we would try to go to a restaurant while you're walking in when they're closing and you're asking to split a dessert and two cocktails. They don't want to sit you at a table. And so I had this idea of what if we just created a dessert restaurant, basically, where people could come and have a great experience to end their night versus we don't want to wait on you. Right, right. <laughs> so that's where the Welcome idea... Welcome versus go away. Yeah, yeah that's where the idea the came look. from. Yeah. Um, so this is your first business idea, or you had, you had other business ideas in your background? Yeah, I, you know, I think as a young kid, I always thought I would do something. I was that kid that was always trying to sell something to other children. Oh, you were. Okay, <laughs> so you were an entrepreneur at an early age. I was, yeah, you know, making nice. bracelets, you know, selling the lemonade, helping, you know, wanting to do the garage sale, which was not my parents' idea. Right. I just think I naturally had that spirit in me. So I had quite a few crazy ideas, which this one was slightly crazy, as I was told by Banks, but um, it was something that I was very passionate about bringing something different to the community. And that's where my interest lied with something different for this community that I love so much. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Some of the craziest ideas end up be, being something that worked brilliantly. And everybody's like, well, why didn't I think about it? It's like, you said it was crazy. So right. remember that. Right. Did you always love baking? You know, I've always loved the connection of people and food, and that's another reason of where this came from. So during high school and college, I I worked in restaurants, and I actually liked it. (laughs) Most people do it. Wow. That's, yeah. No, seriously, because if you've never worked in a restaurant, if you think you want to open one, go work on one for two years. Yeah. In every job. And then tell me if you want. It's work. It is hard work. It's hot. People aren't always happy. But the one piece of the restaurant I loved the most was the connection of people and food. So being able to explain the menu or the special that night. And one thing that dawned on me is people usually eat out. If you ask them if they're celebrating something, they usually are in some way, shape, or form, especially on the weekend. You know, they got a promotion at work. They did a good job on a project. Their son got an A on a paper. um, And that's where... I really liked working with these people and their life celebrations. As there, I was going to say, there's a celebration to be had. That's mm-hmm. great. But I got to ask, do you ever go into your shop and bake up something special for yourself or your child or someone around you? Or is it's that interesting tr- now because the, the my team considers that I get in their way. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. They have their systems in place, but I do still like working in my shop. I love working the counter. I'm not probably as efficient at it as my team is now. And again, I get in their way, but so they tolerate you. Is that what you're saying? Um, but my son and I bake every single weekend, no matter what. We always bake something fun, Mm -hmm. fun. Did you grow up in Ankeny? I did. Gosh, I was just thinking about that because I moved to Ankeny in 2006 and I didn't know the area. And when I moved in, there was, I don't know, 28,000 people in the town. 
And when I moved downtown 10 years later, there was like 60,000 people. Uh-huh. It was a small town when you were growing up there. And I'm not aging you because you're a young lady, but it, it has grown so fast. What was Hank getting like when it was really small? So I moved to Ankeny in 86. My dad was transferred um, from right outside of Wichita, Kansas, so still Midwest um, gal, up to um, Ankeny, which was a suburb, a tiny, tiny little suburb. Tiny. It was 8,900 people when we moved wow. to town. Um, and my parents wanted to live in a small town outside of Des Moines. And I loved it there. It was kind of that sleepy commuter town. But growing up there, I mean, same thing. We had the sidewalks behind our house. We roamed the neighborhoods. And I experienced all of that growth growing up there. And the thing about Ankeny that separates, I think, from some of the other suburbs around our area is it was a bit of its own city. I mean, it had its own downtown. It had its own grocery store. It had it wasn't the suburban kind of strip mall heaven. It was a little town of its own. And it was. It, it, it was. The downtown is still a very special place. It is. So how big was your high school class in Ankeny? It was 348. Oh, so it was pretty good size. It was good size by the time I graduated high school. I had We had definitely gone through that, what I would call boom. Okay. Um, there was, even when I was in elementary school, they divided the junior highs. There was another elementary school built to the west of where I was. So we had experienced that kind of pulling apart the grades at an early level. But 348 and... I, I don't even know how many how big these classes are now. When we left, our son was in Centennial, which is a second high school, but the incoming kindergarten class was over a thousand children. So which they have two high schools and there actually is a plan for a third up there. It's crazy how big it's grown. It. You have a BLS degree from ISU. What is a BLS degree? It's a bachelor bachelor of liberal sciences. So it's okay. Yeah. So basically what that means is I can never make up my mind. so i had um, done two years at dmac and got my aa and thought i'd figure out in those two years what i really wanted to do took a year off actually from college went to work full-time thinking i'd find something i was very passionate about and i didn't but i had committed to only a year off so i put myself back in school and went up to finish and when i got to iowa state every program i looked at was going to be three to four years and oh. I didn't want a six year degree. Yes. So they presented this option of liberal studies, which basically meant um, uh, jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. I did a little bit of everything, but most of my electives were in business. Okay. Um, I knew anything I did in my life would revolve around business some way, shape or form. You know, it's come, come so full circle because in my day it was like, go become an engineer, go behind and some that still exists. You know, you need to go get this one thing. In fact, I remember at Iowa, the engineering school only had non only had like nine non-engineering credits, three classes. Everything else was engineering. And today, in fact, I've, it was quoted by Google not long ago, is they're much more interested in a liberal arts degree than a comp sci. Mm-hmm. They want you to be able to program or do marketing or whatever, it is, but they want you to be well-rounded. They want you to have a lot of things in your background and understand critical thinking and logic and the arts, and I think it's wonderful. So yeah. I would imagine that kind of degree you have is served you well. It served me very well. And my proudest thing is that I went back. I gave myself a year off, but I went back and finished. Well, that's it, it is a big deal to say you have a degree because mm-hmm. it, it's the the paradox is once you get out and get your first job, the, the whole what did you do in college thing and what is your grade point kind of falls away. It's like, do you have a college degree? Yes. Next. Yep. I, you know, I, I would always laugh because, yeah, I have one. It was a, my grade point was 2.5. It wasn't very <laughs> good, but I, I have a degree. They let me out. So. Check the box. You were at RDG for a number of years, and you had a lot of different roles. First of all, who is RDG? What do they do? But let me—I'm curious how that helped you with the business you started. Yeah. So, um, 
I kind of went off to Florida right after college. The grass was greener. Uh, my bubble popped very quickly down there that uh, Florida is not Iowa. People don't want to mentor you. They don't want the young people on boards down there. And after trying to prove a point for two years that I was never coming back to Iowa, my my mom, who you always listen to, talked me into that you're not a failure. Come back to Iowa. And um, kind of flopped around again, not sure what I was supposed to do, and tripped upon a family friend that worked for RDG. And RDG is a design and architecture firm. So they have everything from landscape architects to, you know, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, um, healthcare, sports, just wow. a wide variety. One of those companies not a lot of people know. Yeah. yeah. Um, they do a lot of national work. So they're here in Des Moines, but do a lot of stuff out. And I came into the firm, had an interview, and why they hired me, I'm not really sure. Because in my interview, I told them, well, that's great. The position was a project coordinator. But here's what I'm really good at. Here's mm-hmm. what I know my strengths are. And I will start there, but I don't want to be stuck as a project coordinator for the rest of my life. And they hired me, and off I went. So, But now that you manage a business, to hear somebody say, I'll start there, but I'm not ending there, yep. that's actually a nice thing to hear. Yeah, and that's why I think it served me well, because I actually look for that in employees now that want to be yeah. aggressive and feed ideas. So you, now you know why they hired you. Yeah. yeah. I um, So I started as a project coordinator, um, very quickly got into uh, marketing with the company, went to a project manager position on up to a studio director, um, and then was a director in the company by the age of 29. Wow. So it was a very fast yes. growth pattern for me. But the reason it served me well is I, I always threw ideas out on the table. Whether they took them or not, I didn't care. I just felt like I needed a voice at the table. Yeah, but again, that's so refreshing. When you're yeah. running a small to mid-sized business, when there are new ideas on the table, it isn't. Cause some days it just feels like when you're running a business, it's all, this is a problem, this person's upset. These two people aren't talking to each other. It's all the problems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is management. It's managing problems. It was. And I, I kind of considered myself a fire putter outer. So I, I worked in a lot of different departments there. And it came in from either uh, making the department profitable to that thing, making people get along, um, kind of office morale. I did a little bit of everything there. And that's why I think it served me well as an entrepreneur is that I was never really told, no, I couldn't do anything there. You know, we, we see these businesses say, I want people to be more entrepreneurial. And yet they're the same people, both men and women, as leaders that quash that at every turn. You know, just do your job. No, I don't want to make any changes. I'm happy with the way it is. And I just, someday I hope they wake up and realize you're pushing out your most entrepreneurial people by refusing to listen to anything new. Yeah. They're entrepreneurs. And, and some people only want to work in large companies, but you need that entrepreneurship well, and the thing about large companies that, you know, having worked in both, you can swing a lot of weight. I mean, if in my last role, if I wanted to put $5 million into something, I could do it. I mean, I had the opportunity to do that. I, startups don't get that. I mean, right. You know, it's, it's like I have an experienced team of engineers, product managers, uh, salespeople. We can go create a new market, and we can actually have a chance of doing it worldwide. And we did a couple times. It was amazing. And, what, you know, now I look at some startups with, oh, we have 300K of capital total. Yep. 300K wouldn't have lasted two weeks. Yep. You wouldn't have got the plan done. Now you execute an entire business with it. So uh, there's a lot of, of opportunity in those big businesses to really make change happen. But it's got to be the leadership has to be open to it. I would agree. So um, you were with the SBDC uh, for several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you did at the Small Business Development Center, yep. SBDC. I'm sorry for all the acronyms. What did you, you had a couple of roles there. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, so S- the SBDC was the best blend of my past at RDG and my current of being an entrepreneur. So when I finally decided that crime was going to become a true business, I turned to my friends and I was like, where, where do I go? I need help. I don't know how to do this. And they, one of my banker friends referred me down to the SBDC. So they were able to help me kind of get my cash flows together, help me work on a business plan, you know, help me kind of think through what my future might be. Does this fit what I want to do personally? Um, That's and, such an important question. Yeah. Does this fit who you are? Yes. You see this, and I know you see it too, but you see these people, it's like what you're doing doesn't fit who you are. Yeah. Today, I, ju- I mean, I just this morning had a conversation with somebody that's looking at doing a retail business that would require them to be open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Oh. And with children, I said, does that fit your lifestyle model? Let's just start with that. But you got to think about what your day is going to look like. Probably not the first question they expected yeah, to get Yeah, and she from said, someone. you know, nobody's even said that to me. So this is a good thing to consider. So I had to consider all of that. So I had used them. I knew the tremendous value of having that resource. It's a free resource, um, state-funded here in town. Um, and my counselor came to me and said, hey, our director is uh, leaving and our office is not doing so well. We need somebody to come in and restructure us, which is basically what I had done at RDG back in the day. Sure, sure. So I came in um, in 2015. Uh, my creme team had agreed. We had the conversation of, you know, I'm going to be taking on a full-time responsibility. Um, I will not be able to run to the shop uh, with the flexibility of only working part-time there as I was a mom. Um, and you still are a mom. Yeah. And they agreed that, you know, this is, my team is very community focused too, and that this was a good thing for the community. So I went in there and at the time, I didn't know what I didn't know, but they were really not in good shape once I got in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took that office from 221 kind of semi-satisfied clients that were really only doing work in the Des Moines area to 557 clients in two years that were doing work in five counties. Nice. And it was just an amazing experience. That would be fun to pull that off, too. Yeah. You, there are days when you go, wow, okay, we actually did something. That, yeah, and I was just so passionate about it because I knew the value they bring out to their communities. So you went to SBDC after you started Creme Cupcake. I did. But the SBDC was what your coach through one of your main coaches through the process. Yeah. Looking back, how much of what they told you rang true? And is there, you know, that's like, wow, they were really right. Was there anything that you look back now and go, we need to teach that a little differently or we need to counsel a little differently? I completely counseled differently on the marketing piece. <laughs> so for me, that was a strength that I had. Um, and marketing is a very hard thing to teach people. They either get it or they don't. They're either marketers or they're not. It's like sales. Yeah. Um, it, but their businesses are 100% dependent on it. Um, so I completely did not take that advice from them. I figured out my own system and I have my own way of teaching that now. Uh, the other thing is, like when we wrote the business plan, they they say be pretty conservative on it, which I would tell people to do too. So the dessert lounge concept was more like our five to 10 year plan. Mm -hmm. But when we found the location, it moved to a two year plan. Yep. 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 That happens. Um, There's a saying that sometimes life gets in the way. Life got in the way when you started, Graham. Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So um, one of the reasons I'm passionate about working with entrepreneurs is because life is very messy. And I had some great people help me along the way. 
But getting Creme Up and going, um, it was just me, as it is with many entrepreneurs, and I was able to lease a very small kitchen. Um, we were able to do a very large event in town. We fed a thousand people at an event, and that was we, one of your first customers. Yes, <laughs> and once you feed, a okay. Th- you know, usually we coach people not to, to dive off mm-hmm. the deep end head first into a shallow pool. How'd that go? Yeah. So when you feed a thousand people and they like it, you have that explosion oh, overnight. Nice. So it worked. Which it worked, but it could have also tanked us, which we coach on too. You know, sometimes those just, you can't keep up with the POs, but it was, it was a good thing for me, but I had to think quickly on my feet. And I had to hire somebody. It was just me. So yeah, I, I think I, so. <laughs> I hired the best person I knew, and her name was Mom. They're always the best employees you can hire. Your mother. Yeah, there my you mom. Go. They'll let you work. You know, you can tell them to work late. They show up on time. Um, they have, of course, the mission statement near and dear to their heart. They know the vision. So I hired my mom. Often. They like. They usually like the owner. Yeah they they don't tend to challenge you much. Um, but off we went, and then we needed to move to a different kitchen. So we got 30 days notice. We could have went under because we had no place to go. 30 and days notice. 30 days notice, no loans. I mean, we couldn't secure financing, and a gentleman in town helped us out, Michael Laval, um, another great entrepreneur that was able to get us in place. So we got moved, and then within three weeks of moving, we were approached that there was a building for lease on Ingersoll. And... We went to Ingersoll, looked at the space, determined it would work for the um, dessert lounge that we wanted to do, and then we tried to secure financing, yeah. which was a whole other story. Um, yeah, talk but about, it's an important story. Um, talk about people shutting you down or not believing in your idea. I was told that a dessert lounge, which is a bakery and a bar, was the dumbest thing they had ever heard of. I love it when somebody says that to me. Just <laughs> there was no need work. for them to be nice. They held the money. They could tell me whatever they wanted to tell me. Right. So they did not cushion the story at all. But so, they didn't get your business either. No, they didn't. Um, so I was turned down seven times yeah. uh, by banks. Yeah. And um, which basically the journey sounds fun up until then, but when you're getting told no over and over, you kind of just question what you're doing. Like, if, but this is common too. This yeah. is yeah. Now you know this. You're not unique. No. This happens to almost every entrepreneur that goes to the bank world for financing. Is you get turned down a lot of times. A lot, and it makes you start to second guess yourself sure when you've does. got so many people telling you this is not a good idea. So we actually were able to secure financing through a guy I went to grade school with. Called really? me out of the blue and offered me a loan he had been privately or as a banker um as a banker okay his boss had actually been to a dessert lounge in st louis oh interesting understood Understood the concept concept. and thought it was great for des moines so i tell people a lot that you have to be nice to people because you never know even back to elementary school who is holding the money (laughs) so (laughs) don't bully each other because somebody's holding the money it's so true you just don't know yeah, so we finally got the money. Everything's exciting. We're building out the location. We're up and running. Um, we got open uh, in three months. Thank God. Going back to RDG, my designer friends all came in, helped the space yeah, look great. Yeah, I was going to say, you had a team behind you, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, helped the space look great. And then three weeks into the doors being open, I found out I was three months pregnant. 
Oh, well, yeah, gets in the way. That was not ever in the business plan, and I have yet to meet anybody that writes that into their business plan. I really don't think too many people say, in month three, I'm going to find out I have a baby. Yeah, okay. and yeah. finding out three months pregnant was even less time to plan for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I hadn't yeah. thought about the three months versus yeah. six weeks. So my mom, of course, being the great manager she is, just said, hey, let's get a management team in place. We can do this. Um, so that was in August. And then one month after that, my mom actually suffered a massive stroke. Yeah, that's the part of your story that it's just what what a tragic situation. Yeah. How's your mom today? My mom's doing great today. She has short-term memory loss, so, which never allowed her to come back into the baking right. in the kitchen. But um, yeah, you still never know. Her life. Yeah, she's doing great up in Ankeny still. And um, that's where the mentors came into play and pulled us through everything. Yeah. So you have put a good management team in place now. We have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you really don't have a lot of hours in the business. On a, I mean, because you work outside the business now. Yeah. Um, how many hours a week do you spend on Krem? Usually about four to 10 hours a week. Um, I, most of my team down there, I have a team of, um, 14 to 16, depending on the season, we fluctuate, hire sure. some temp people. Um, most of them have been with me three to six years. Oh, nice. So you which got is a, a that long says time. a lot about you as a leader. If you're, if, well, no, seriously, we're in a, in a, you know, such a low unemployment space. And, um, one of the problems we have in the startup community is some startups are rating other startups for help because everybody's desperate for good talent. So if you're holding people that long, you're doing something right. So you pretty much self-financed the business before you received a loan. How did did. that work out? So I had made a plan um, as the business began to grow and I was still working full time. I was just sticking everything back into the business. When we started booking out these larger events and backlog of work, I started looking at can I sustain and pay myself? The biggest tipping point for me is that I had to pay myself. Otherwise, I just had an expensive hobby. Right. So when I left to go work full time, we lived very minimally, but I made sure I paid myself every single month, no matter how hard it was to take money out of the company. I had committed to taking a certain amount out every month. And that's what we did. We just kept most of it in the business. I paid myself very minimally and that's how we grew it. Yeah, and it's and, and probably if you're like most people, you never paid that money back to yourself from the business. It's just your sunk equity in the company. Yep, yeah. sweat equity. That's right. Well, sweat equity and financial <laughs> equity. Um, so you have a full time role at the partnership here. You have your business. You have a family. How do you balance all this? Oh my gosh! Talk to me about balance. Yeah, so I don't think there's anything as balance. I just have given up on that model. Um, most of the time, it's kind of whatever fire is burning hotter. Uh, my priority lies in my son because if everything dissipate, disappeared tomorrow, he is going to be there no matter what. How old is he now? He will be five on uh, oh, April 2nd. They grow so. up so fast. Yeah. Hang on, mine's turning 21 this fall. So I yeah, know. It goes so Man. quick. Yeah, and you have one too, so you can relate that you're not, every first is your last, so it's important that I'm there for key things. And um, after that, you know, it's kind of whatever – fire's burning hotter. Like, you know, my team at the shop, they're pretty efficient. I don't have to be there a lot. If something comes up, they text me or call me. Um, I check in on their stuff at night. You know, here I set my appointments. And the biggest thing is, is everybody has to have flexibility in their life this day and age. It's so true. I remember when they used to make people come in at eight and leave at five and they do desk checks. And, you know, people literally walk the aisle seeing if anybody's there. It was funny because when I came to work at the partnership in 2007, there was some of that culture here at the time. Hmm. I don't know if you knew that. There no. was a little bit of that culture. And of course, being from the tech industry, I 
never even thought about that kind of thing. I'm the guy showing up with no tie on and, mm. you know, I don't, I don't own a tie anymore. And uh, I would leave and people are freaked out. And it's like, well, I'm going to go meet a bunch of people. I got work to do. And I'd hang out in a coffee shop and get work done. And what a culture thing. And when I found out this was, I found out that I actually helped the partnership with that regard because nobody had ever done it. Yeah. And the gal that was running, Martha Willits, was like, fine. You know, the person at the top didn't mind. She just saw that I was getting things done. And it's really interesting in workplaces today. You're talking about that flexibility. Uh, I've got a, uh, a Katie Patterson. Do you know, Kate? You know yeah. Katie? Mm-hmm. So she went to a real flex time system in her business. Yeah. And I think people only have to be in the office two hours a week. And they can work the hours they want to work. And she was telling me that one of her programmers now works at night. Mm-hmm. And he's literally doubled his productivity and is way happier because he doesn't have to come in during the day. I would agree. I would agree. I Why mean, not, right? Use people when they're at their best. And we it's crazy to say at Creme that we have this flexible work time. We have this flexible work time. Um, the staff is, you know what, same thing. If they, the cakes just have to go out the door by a certain time, if right. you're better at producing them at night, produce them at night. Right. I don't care. Um, and they all are cross-trained to cover each other. Yeah, so that's important. That that's people can important. take time off when they need time off. Yeah. Well, and I think in the so many people that have children gravitate to that flexible environment and are so willing to help. It's like, oh, you've got a problem with your kid? I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Yep. When my father was passing away from cancer during the final weeks, I was VP of marketing at a pretty good-sized company, and my boss was the president of the company. And I really wanted to spend the last week with my dad. And we knew the last week was coming, pretty much new. And I went to him and said, I need to figure out a way to go spend some time with my dad next week because this is probably going to be his last week of his life. And he said, go, give me your schedule. I'll do it. And I can't tell you what that meant. I mean, this is the president of a big company. We're publicly traded. This guy's got a miserable day every day. He's working 12, 14, 16 hour days. He took my entire schedule of meetings, business, there was two business trips. He did them all while doing his job. Wow. He got it. He'd lost a parent too. He understood. Yeah. The flexibility to just make it happen. And like you said, you're more productive. Tell me more about what you're doing at the partnership. We won't get into it too deep, but what are you what are you doing here? What are you doing that you like? You know, I absolutely love it here. I, I feel blessed actually to come here every day and be able to work with <clears throat> the entrepreneurs that we work with. So 5,400 uh, small businesses that are members here and really focused on creating, you know, curriculum and helping them advance. So they're up and running what's next for them because i've been out there where i'm up and running and it's like well now what there's no training for me i don't know what now what do i do and you're on your own right especially as the leader owner you're on your own right you are you are and just you don't want to talk to your family you don't want to talk to your spouse you don't want to talk to your employees when there's a problem because they automatically think the company's going down right and so it's been great to be able to develop these kind of groups and programming for them to be able to advance their companies themselves personally help them through when they're having balancing issues. Um, and just the the curriculum that we do here now is just great. So yeah. I, I felt privileged. I feel like kind of a little entrepreneurship role of being able to create something here. Yeah, and it's interesting because we live in, you're working with most of the traditional small businesses and, and big, when I say small business, it's some really good-sized small businesses that are employing 50 or 100 people in many cases and doing it successfully. They're facing this new challenge of an online 24-7 world, yep. and I know you went out recently to an online, uh, it's like a training seminar yeah. for online business. I I think I did a, a radio show this morning, and I was saying, you know, we have people in town that are doing millions of dollars of business on Amazon, and the person was just stunned. Mm-hmm. From Des Moines, I'm like, well, from anywhere that has a UPS truck and, an, and a internet connection, 
You can do business globally. It's not that hard. Yep. Tell us a little bit more about that. That has been a passion of mine for quite a while is to um, help our entrepreneurs have kind of a standing fight against the online world. And it's not they're going to fight against them. You're going to have to join them. Go punch with them. Yeah. And it's it's more than just uh, selling online. So Amazon's a great resource for them. But how do we get them booking appointments online? How do we get them, you know, being able to... Um, you know, possibly sell product online, but everything is going to this digital world. People don't want to talk to you anymore. They're so busy. They just want to jump online and schedule an appointment. Well, and it may be at 3 a.m. when they want to do it and you're home sleeping, I hope. Yep. Or the bot chats, you know, where it looks like you talking, Mm -hmm. but it's actually a robot helping you through customer service. So that's been a focus of mine. And it hit me a couple years ago when I went to a small town in Iowa that was looking at succession planning and there was nobody in place to come buy this business. And they weren't a huge producing business. They were a typical Main Street business. But when I walked in their shop, everything they had in their shop could be sold online. And it was just a major missed opportunity for them. And they ended up just closing because we couldn't find anybody to move from Des Moines to buy this small business. But had they been producing and selling online, they could have tripled their business and somebody from Des Moines would have moved would to have the small it. town to Or buy moved it. the business here, but they would the business would have survived and they would have gotten a yeah. lot more money versus just shutting it down. Yep. Yeah. How do we get more women engaged in startups and business? I think, you know, supporting women when they have an idea. You know, a lot of times we're not the best supporters of each other. <laughs> somebody <laughs> says you have an idea and you're like Oh, that's fun. Well, that's not really helpful. You need to tell them, oh, you know what? There's a great resource at the SBDC. There's a great resource in Mike and Christina. There's a great resource in First Fridays to come hear female entrepreneurs speak. You know, don't just say, it's a, oh, that's fun. Push them forward to actually explore the opportunity more. And the biggest thing is once they get around other female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in general, they realize they can do it all. Yeah, there's that's a it's a good point. I mean, there are people out there doing it today, and many of them will say, "I'm still learning," mm-hmm. and, and we all are. But I mean, they're just truthful about it. It's like I'm still figuring this out. Yeah. So it's it's a supportive network. Business it is. people are actually very supportive, and even it's funny, even inside competitive environments, um, they can be supportive in the background. It's like, look, we're going to compete like crazy head to head, but. You know, if I've been in it 15 years longer than you have and I can help you out, I'm probably going to help you out. Not, right. not true on the coastlines, by the way. That Yeah, I was unique that in that with the mentors. But I just think yeah, like pushing is. the women forward with their ideas to at least explore it. Because once you get connected, even with you or me, we can sit down and say, hey, this is going to cash flow. Or actually, hey, this is probably just an expensive hobby and I wouldn't risk. Right. You know, the stability of your what your family has right, right. now. It's just have, pushing them to have those conversations with somebody that can help them. Right. I get a lot of it. I'm sure you do too, but people that are new to the area. I had a couple that moved here recently and they've got a clothing business. It's really interesting, wholesale clothing business, but it uh, um, they just need to be connected to people in Des Moines. And so most of what I've done for them is just introduce them to other entrepreneurs. Yeah. And because I can help them and I will try to help them where I can, but what they really needed was a network. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we can do so easily here because people are very friendly and business people are willing to give their time. And I think I was able to connect them with nine. Leah's the gal that runs the company now. And uh, there was like eight or nine female entrepreneurs that I connected her to that are, to be honest, have similar backgrounds, similar ages, that kind of thing. So it's like instant network. And they were like, wow, she." I had people calling me and saying, thank you for introducing me to Leah. She's great. I'm like, oh, I didn't really know Leah. I'm glad <laughs> she's great. But, you know, just adding a level of engagement. So they're connected very quickly. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. Des Moines is very unique in that. We're very yeah. lucky here to be able to do that. We are. Christina, thank you for being on Startup Stories. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Thanks for listening to Startup Stories DSM podcast. Inspired by this startup story, visit dsmpartnership.com slash business resources to find upcoming events, videos, and other free resources dedicated to helping startups and entrepreneurs accelerate success in DSM USA. That's dsmpartnership.com slash business resources. Thanks for listening.